first one is always is always a nightmare but i uh, will have a take two welcome to yell parks pod the number one podcast for yelling about parks um my name is ola i use em or they them pronouns uh, i'm ellery they them pronouns are fine i'm nick they them pronouns please and then we have two guests with us today if you would like to introduce yourselves i'm dino i use she or any pronouns and I'm Weeks. I use he, him pronouns. I'm so excited to have you guys here. Excited to be here. Yeah, welcome. Yeah. yeah, it's really exciting. We've been wanting to have you guys on for a while, and we're very excited to talk about um, this park that you both have personal experience with, I believe. Yes. This month, we are talking about the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. So... If you're not familiar, Great Smoky Mountains National Park is a park at the border of Tennessee and North Carolina. It's at the southern end of the Appalachian Mountains. I am pronouncing that right. I will fight you. Yeah, Um, no, I (laughs) absolutely agree with you. And what it looks like, it's just like its name. It's a very mountainous park. And 95% of the park is forested. It's... um, And a a big portion of those forests are old-growth forests. Though it also includes grassy balds, heath balds, known as shrublands, and wetlands. Heath balds usually contain shrubbery plants, and grassy balds are a mix of grass and other shade-intolerant plants. And wetlands are only a very small portion of the park, um, but they contain over 20% of the plant species in the park. So, in terms of the history of the park, probably what is a very prominent aspect of that is it is the area um, that is now uh, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park is kind of where the Trail of Tears started. Um, It is home to several different uh, Native American peoples, including uh, the Cherokee. It's the eastern band of Cherokee Cherokee Indians, I think, is the official name. Are the like current inhabitants, but there are um, several other Cherokee groups that have been uh, displaced to other areas uh, as well that did originally live um, where the Great Smoky Mountain National Park is now. Sorry um, to cut in. I, I don't know how we want to handle mm-hmm. this, but um, uh, did we want to talk about like um, why there's the Eastern Band? Like what what happened with that? Or do we? I don't. Yeah, I mean, if you if that's something you want to talk about, I will be honest. I didn't look into it that much. I know that there were um, who were able to stay, yeah. but I did not spend a ton of time looking into that history. But if that's something you know about, I would. Uh, it, just because it's something that um, we, um, I know we mentioned further down, or we're going to talk about later, mm-hmm. um, is uh, there there were um, some tribes and um, some settlements that were um, allowed to stay in the area um, because several people, most often white people, negotiating on half on behalf of the um, of the people that were staying, um, were able to negotiate um, them being exempt from the forced displacement. Um, Mm -hmm. Some of that uh, negotiation required cooperating with finding others um, to forcibly displace um, and and helping with that. Um, It's not all of the Eastern Band. They don't have that full history, um, but at least some portion. No. Yeah. There's a lot of... um, unpleasant it's bad history around yeah it's bad um yeah and then um in terms of creating the park congress authorized the park in 1926 
but it was not officially established until 1934. And a lot of that money I was reading on, I think the park's website, came from private donations. So like John D. Rockefeller was a major donor um, to purchasing the land that would eventually go to the park. That's fun. Yeah, that's fun. Um, uh, but there were some other, so, yeah. Uh, so, sorry, <laughs> I'm so used to Ola doing this. So throughout the, uh, latter half of the decade after the park was established, the Civilian Conservation Corps, the Works Progress Administration, and other federal organizations were hired workers to build trails, fire watchtowers, and other infrastructure improvements to the park. There were about 4,300 Civilian Conservation Corps workers between 1933 and the start of World War II. Uh, It always blows my mind, like... (laughs) how small wage money was I know. back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so Weeks found us, uh, Weeks has uh, shared some information about the Civilian Conservation Corps with us. Uh, they received $30 a month, um, which is insane. The, like, that was something people could live on, mm-hmm. thinking about it now. And the majority of that money went back to their families. Um, they kept $5 a month for themselves. And then when they weren't working on the park, um, they were able to receive um, some basic schooling. A, a quick a, a quick uh, search. Uh, $30 in 1940 um, is about the same as $641 in 2023. So not a lot for a month, but still a significant increase to to be fair yeah this is um coming on the back of the great depression right exactly it's just any money any job yeah yeah is creating any money for any job is is the idea and like that was that was the thing where it's like the conservation corps was a part of like fdr's like new deal uh and so this was you know they mobilized I think like millions of, or like, I mean, I think hundreds of thousands of workers all over the U S um, mm-hmm. normally, you know, unskilled, just people who like were out of a job and it was, it was like, it allowed them to send money back to their family, keep a little for themselves, learn skills. And like I said, like they, they were able to go to school, like learn a few, you know, learn, learn how to read, learn how to write. So mm-hmm. it's, it's really interesting visiting the park and seeing exactly there's all of the U.S., but especially in the Smokies, there's so many shelters and paths and improvements that are still there and still standing, you know, 80 years later. 80. Yes. Yeah. 80. yeah. I had to do the math. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Fair. almost. Uh, we're getting close to like 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then, do we want to talk about all of these... Um, uh, I at least wanted to talk about George Masa or Masahara Isuka. Yeah, I, I literally mm-hmm. just uh, one one prominent person like early in the founding of um, the uh, Great Smoky Mountain National Park was uh, Masahara Izuka, um, who was a Japanese immigrant to um, Asheville, North Carolina. He in the states he went by George Masa um, primarily, and uh, he was a famous photographer. Um, and he was able to provide a lot of like widely, um, it, it was, it, it was the first time that so many people were able to see the Smoky Mountains were mm-hmm. through his photographs. Mm. Um, and even looking at them now, like they're really beautiful. Um, and, um, he, there were a bunch of like other well-known hikers and like cartographers and things like that. And he would carry like like 50 100 pounds of equipment like up these mountains to get these pictures um and he was one of the um one of the first people to um uh, actually like measure and chart the terrain um for um for the um uh smoke great great smoky mountain national like park officially as we know it today Ooh. um and then 
um, there was also a um, there was also a committee um, when uh, mm-hmm. the um, the park was becoming an official national park. As things happen in history, um, there are a lot of like natural and colloquial names, um, as well as like indigenous names and things like that um, that get adopted. Um, and um, uh, Masahara was um, part of the um, the official like federal committee that decided the like quote unquote official names of several like streams and peaks and like all of those things. Do you know like when ish this was happening? Uh, it was before 1933 because he died in 1933. Okay, so like when they were preparing for it to become a national park. Yes. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, I also see the note right under it that just says Dolly Parton question mark. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta you gotta love Dolly Parton. That's my favorite bullet point. <laughs> that was also me, yeah. Yeah, I mean I, I can officially throw it. Like um uh we'll talk about it probably a little bit more later, but um Ooh. uh the um just essentially bordering the Great Smoky Mountain National Park um, are Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge, um, who are big um, tourist, trappy kind of locations. There's like mini golf and go courts, mm-hmm. and you can go tubing down the mm-hmm. mountains, and there are all kinds of like rental cabins, and there are all kinds of these things. My like my biggest memory of visiting like like Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg is there's like legitimately. 40 or 50 different pancake houses and they're like they're all different and you know it's like when you're there for a week you visit a few of them for breakfast they're all good but there's just there's dozens of them it's it's pretty nuts yeah i didn't realize that pigeon forge was like right next to the great smoky mountains i have not been or like spent a significant amount of time in this part of tennessee Hmm. Um, mostly I just drive through Tennessee on my way to other places. <laughs> that's, that's our, that's actually Tennessee's, uh, uh most prominent, uh, feature is that people pass through it. Yeah. You know, I did live there for like six months, but I was also a child and don't remember any of it. I didn't realize that pancake houses were like part, of, like, like. The, that like southern appalachia sort of like yeah. tourist trap experience <laughs> quite so much um though i guess i guess it makes sense uh when you when you start to think about it i kind of um associated them with more touristy areas in general growing up yeah. in the south but i i i guess you don't get them so much around necessarily around more touristy spots all over I think, like, we'll we'll touch on this later, but, you know, having mm-hmm. Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg so close, like, very, like, very touristy, like, very nice places to visit, um, having it so close, like, you are in sort of, like, this tourist trap environment, and you drive 20 minutes, and you hit, like, this, like, the National Park. It's, it's such a nice sort of gateway into the National Park system, which, yeah, it's like... I, when I really started like getting hiking and visiting some of like the some of the park systems, it was really mm-hmm. uh, I think it was back in 2017 was the first time I visited the Smokies, and like that was the first time I'd spent an extended period of time like visiting a national park, and that's that's really where my love of the entire system kind of popped up. That sounds lovely. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, part part of um, uh, why this this was in the history section um, is that uh, mm-hmm. one of the most famous people um, uh, from the area, uh, maybe arguably one of the most famous people from Tennessee, uh, Dolly Parton, <laughs> um, Dolly Parton. Uh, lived uh, or grew up um, in this general area. I, I don't believe she was actually in the uh, the part that would be designated the Great Smoky Mountains, but she was definitely like nearby in Sevier County. Um, and a lot of what is credited to making um, uh, Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge into huge tourist traps are um, is uh, Dollywood, um, this uh, mm-hmm. massive um, theme park uh, built around the Dolly Parton mythology and all of those things. Um, and there's a lot to say about like Dolly as a brand and like Dolly as a like a public figure and like all of these things, um, but. Um, I, I would say a huge part of like why um, 
I, 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 I maybe getting getting ahead of us, but I, I would <laughs> I would say probably like a, a huge part of it is um, is that uh, Gallenberg Pigeon Forge and specifically right. Donald. We'll Twitter. circle back huge, then. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I think the final thing we wanted to touch on in this history uh, segment is a current project that is going on uh, that the uh, the park is putting on called the african-american experiences in the smokies project so yeah this is a project that was started in 2018 uh, to record the history of african-americans in the great smoky mountains region of appalachia am i saying that right i am from new york (laughs) so i i think it's mostly right I I typically have heard it uh, Appalachia, Appalachia, not Appalachia. Yeah. Okay. The real problem is when you say it Appalachia. Yeah, that is the one that I will fight people on. <laughs> okay, that's how I was raised. <laughs> okay, so Appalachia. Okay, uh, the Great Smoky Mountains region of Appalachia from the 1540s through today. Um, And so the project focuses on topics such as the stories of enslaved African-Americans in the region, um, African-American experiences during the American Civil War and post-emancipation. And in addition to this, the project is greatly interested in the oral histories of African-Americans in the area, both oral histories that have been passed down through time and those of the current day. So if you go to the park and you, uh, let's say, hike the Appalachian... I'm so sorry. (laughs) I wish I hadn't said anything about it because now you're (laughs) self-conscious. I'm going to avoid saying it this entire recording just (laughs) so I don't mess it up. Yeah. If you hike the big trail... (laughs) No, it was, honestly, it was a joke because, but. (laughs) No, you're totally good. I want to be saying it correctly. So, um. See, now I'm self-conscious that I said it wrong. And, and now I'm the one who set the standard for no reason. (laughs) So if, if somebody writes and it's like, you're saying Appalachia wrong, I will fight them in an Arby's parking lot. (laughs) (laughs) I also think that it's like. Because, like, people are raised to pronounce different place names differently. Especially if you're not from there. Like, you don't know how the locals pronounce it. it mm-hmm. You're gonna be okay. Yeah. I'm yeah. not even really from there. I'm from near there. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Um, but yeah, if you wanted to get involved in the project and believe that you have something to contribute... Um, you can contact science communicator Antoine Fletcher at Antoine underscore Fletcher at NPS.gov. Um, it's really cool. They have a lot of primary sources, old photographs, um, and they follow all sorts of history. It's really, really cool. I do suggest checking it out on their website. All right. And I think the final thing that we want to mention before we get into our uh, topics for this episode we it's we want to make note that it is the most visited national park i think in the u.s yeah, yeah. i would assume that this is in the u.s it averages 12.5 million visitors um every year and yes so this this really surprised me because i i always thought of like yellowstone or like yosemite would like that's like the places like people are going the most but i you know it's the smokies are just like they're so accessible you know it's it's you know it's a drive from chicago but it's not that bad i mm-hmm. like i'm from the midwest so it's anything like less than 10 hours is like a pretty easy drive <laughs> so it, it's it's like it's nice centrally located it's by a lot of like like we said like pigeon forge and gatlinburg Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, it's I, it's accessibility like means like I like I said, like it's the most visited national park, which I thought yeah. was really cool. You also you just have a lot more of the American population here um, like on towards the east, the coast, east yeah. exactly. towards east, but we don't have most of the national parks out here. They're only right. 
only a couple compared to out west where there's a lot more of them, a lot bigger ones. Mm-hmm. But but they're also like in the middle of the desert where not mm-hmm. that many people live. Yeah. Right. You've got what? Great Smoky Mountains, uh Shenandoah, uh Acadia. There are a bunch in Florida too. That's true. Florida. I wasn't counting Florida, just mentally. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like the Everglades National Park? Everglades, Biscayne Bay, Dry, Dry Tortugas, Tortugas is, yeah. Yeah, is all the way down. And then I know, like Michigan, you've got Isle Royal, but that's in the middle of Lake Superior and inaccessible for like three quarters of the year. <laughs> uh, you have Indiana Dunes National Park, which I have a, is very special to me because I used to live like right at the edge of that for a few years. Oh, that's so cool. And then you also have the amazing, brand new Gateway Arch National Park in St. Louis. Oh, my God. Which I could, I could, I... I could fill up 45 minutes just talking about that alone. But I would love to hear you talk about it because I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. But, but... Yeah, it's, it's, it's just like, obviously, like, it, it's very important. I, I swear to God, I'll talk about this for like 30 seconds. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's very important, like tourism wise, because uh, like as somebody who has a soft spot for the dunes in Indiana, you know, we were a national lakeshore, which is, you know, people visited. It's like, oh, it's a national lakeshore. Getting like that big NP national park is, was huge for the region just at, like in Northwest Indiana, because now we are getting people who were like knew about it, but now it's like, oh, now I got to visit all the national parks. So we got to stop by like Northwest Indiana. So the the area around Gateway Arch is like the park is just the arch and then maybe like a small like tiny tiny park all the way around it. There's no like natural like there's no natural area that's protected. Uh, I like I've been to Hot Springs National Park, which is sort of like a, a row of hot springs bathhouses protected in Arkansas, but at least that mm-hmm. that's protecting like a hot springs. The Gateway Arch is just sort of like a man made product. It should be a national memorial. Okay, I'm done. (laughs) Yeah. Fair. All right. I'm sure that this is a topic that we will return to in this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Um, About about parks. Um, But I think we are 25 minutes in or something, and we're just getting through the intro. So let's get into our topics. Um, So our first topic... This uh, month, our first topic on uh, the Great Smoky Mountains, we're going to be talking a little bit about bears. Love bears. Black bears, specifically. I see someone has made a note that that they associate Great Smoky Mountains with black bears, uh, especially. That, that was me, yeah. I, I just, in my mind, like, the Smoky Mountains means the black bears and, mm-hmm. and like people people come in contact with the black bears all the time like when they stay in cabins or they're driving around um and um that's probably in part due to like this uh, this study in 2006 that said that um the park biologists estimate um that there are about 1500 black bears in the smokies so that'd be about two bears per square mile that's a lot of bears yeah that's, i yeah i thought that actually sounded kind of low but, I mean, it is still a lot of bears, for sure. That's a lot of bears per square mile. Bears, you gotta consider, bears are solitary creatures that, like, stake out tor- territory and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Like, mm-hmm. they, aren't, they aren't living in packs most of the time. Yeah. Um, unless they're a family. But even then, it's just, usually just a mother bear and her cubs. Yeah. I would say, like, you know, as, like, as somebody who's hiked the Smokies... I luckily have never run into a bear on the trail. I have seen them mm-hmm. all over, just like driving around though. Because like you'll you'll be like on like sort of like an isolated road, and there'll be like three cars stopped in front of you. It's like what's going on? And it's usually just a bear family just kind of like trudging down the road, and you, it's like mm-hmm. you you can't really do anything about it. And just like okay, we're just gonna kind of wait until they roll off into the forest, right? Yeah, I I will be honest, like, that is one of the reasons that I'm so scared of hiking in some of the national parks is because, like, I, 
don't... I don't think that I would... I would, like, lose any information that I knew about encountering (laughs) a bear in that moment. Um, And it's like, I'm not equipped to deal with bear encounters. What if I just don't? (laughs) I just never put myself in a situation where that is a possibility. Um, Well, I I think... um this kind of segues nicely into like probably the biggest topic about bears coming in contact with people. Um, I, I think most people that haven't come in contact with bears, at least like, which is like, what do you do if you see a bear? Uh, like how do you mm-hmm. avoid getting attacked by a bear? Things like that. Um, and uh, there's just um, the mnemonic I always think of is uh, uh, if it's brown, lie down. If it's black, fight back. Um, and uh, there aren't brown or a grizzly aka brown bears um in the smokies um Mm -hmm. but um uh so what people will do sometimes is um hang a bell on their backpack um and they that Mm -hmm. means that like you can't just like round a corner and then you both get you you get surprised by the bear the bear gets surprised by you (laughs) um and it, it also can work to um avoid like mountain lions and other and other um, parks and things like that but um for here um the nps um essentially just recommends um 100 against a black bear don't play dead um just um move somewhere mm-hmm. secure uh, obviously um like the best thing you can do if you're <laughs> is just get in a building um but if you mm-hmm. can't um scare it off <laughs> Um, and, uh, just, you can, um, if it's coming at you, you can try to fight back, like things like that. Um, black bears like very much don't want to fight. Um, so if essentially if you can just, uh, say you're scarier (laughs) than, um, then, uh, they, they'll just leave you alone. Just make yourself inconvenient to the bear. Yeah. 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 Something else to note that I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of people don't know is just because of their names um not all black bears are colored black so um i think there's a rhyme if it's a brown get down if it's black fight Mm -hmm. back Mm -hmm. is that it um not all black bears are black there are brown furred black bears they uh come in a lot of different colors and you can actually tell them apart by size. Black bears are much smaller, not still big, <laughs> and you don't want to be in a position where you have to fight one. But but relative to other bears, <laughs> relative to other bears, um, black bears are smaller. They don't have they don't have a hump on their shoulders the way that a grizzly bear or a brown bear would. And also, you're a lot. You're just a lot more f-ed if you see a <laughs> no. Wait, we don't swear on this podcast. <laughs> Um, you're, you're in a lot more trouble if you see a brown bear, if you're up against a brown bear or a grizzly bear. So that's one way to tell them apart. That's like, I, like, like one of my like dreams is to visit like all the national parks, but you know, it's like, there's, there's parks like the gates of the Arctic, which is just basically like a protected unimproved park in the Arctic circle. Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. say, it's like, you gotta watch for the, the mosquitoes and the bears. And I'm like. I don't know if I just want to be, like, sort of, like, walking along with absolutely nothing around me and just, like, encounter, like, an Alaskan bear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't mix up your buck spray and your bear spray. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> a nightmare. Um, for, for a size comparison, <laughs> um, for a size comparison, black bears um, range from, like, 130 pounds to 660 pounds. Um, and, uh, grizzlies, um, average 900 pounds. Jeez. Um, and, uh, most Alaskan bears are bigger than grizzlies on top of that. So black bears are just like people, basically. Basically. I mean, that's like, that's how much people weigh. Yeah. Yeah. That's why, that actually shocks me. Cause I, I've always thought of, I mean, even the smaller ones as being like, several hundred pounds mm-hmm. like like 400 plus pounds well um a big thing with um a lot of especially 
uh, larger predators um, is that they are fluffier and they have excess skin. That's fair. Because that that makes them more resistant. You you, you maybe see it on cats. Like sometimes if cats lay down, mm-hmm. they have like a they have what's called a primal pouch. Like their stomach like hangs over, um, and that's just that they mm-hmm. have excess skin. Because if it if they get attacked and it just hits skin, then that's whatever. Like you're not actually hitting valuable things in there. Um, right. So yeah, bears bears look a lot fluffier and a lot uh, a lot fatter than they are. Right, and in addition, bears particularly are an animal where it's going to vary a lot based on the time of year. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they're gonna put on a lot of weight before hibernation, and then in the springtime, coming out of that, they're going to be a lot uh, have lost a lot of that weight. Yeah, that's that's also fair. That, that reminds me of, like, I know, like, every year uh, the NPS does, I think it's, like, in October, um, they do what's called Fat Bear Week, where they, like... Yeah. Oh, weeks. We had a whole episode for Fat Bear Week back, <laughs> back when it happened. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't listen to that one. I, I love Fat Bear Week. <laughs> no, yeah. you're good. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're big fans of Fat Bear Week here. We're big fans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. But yeah, for people who don't know, um, usually it's, I think, the last week of September, beginning of October, like, um, as bears are preparing to hibernate, um, Cat My National Park hosts uh, Fat Bear Week. So if you want to hear more about that, you can go back and listen to the Cat My episode. I know I will, because mm-hmm. uh, I, love, I love Fat Bear Week. <laughs> so speaking of of bears interactions with humans it seems like uh the nps has uh programs that are that are monitoring this that are looking at this yeah i i know that like especially parks where bears are prominent like they have information on the nps website about like how to um keep yourself safe Mm-hmm. And they have, like, videos and um, advisory information that you can watch that I think is, like, specific to the bears. Don't quote me on this because I'm not 100% sure, but I think that it's, like, specific to the bears that are, like, native to that park. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually saw something about that, that the NPS suggests talking to park rangers because they can give you an insight into the behavioral patterns mm-hmm. of the bears who live there. Yeah, so that's neat. And and to like read signs. <laughs> they, yeah. I mean, they, there are all kinds of signs um, that are all over the place that will tell you about where you are and how to stay safe there, um, but also some cool things about where you are. Yeah. Yeah, it's also a good place to just use your common sense. You see a bear, don't get out of your car. <laughs> it's I, like, it's so like, I've definitely like seen like videos of people who like, see like a little bear like walking down the road. and They're like, Oh, like, let me pop out of my car and take a picture with them. It's like, no, 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 no. Just like, you like, you can stay like in your car, like take a picture of him and then uh, just uh, sit there and like until, until he kind of moves on his way. Mm hmm. Yeah, because if there's a baby bear, chances are there's also going to be an adult bear mm-hmm. nearby. Yes. For the love of God, don't feed them. Don't Please. Like, yeah. We say that a fed bear is a dead bear for a reason. And that's mm-hmm. because, uh, unfortunately, it can be really hard once a bear is acclimated to being around humans to for them to go back to... You know, not interacting with humans. But every interaction a bear has with a human is a risk to the human and to the bear. But mostly Uh to the human. And that's a risk that we're often unwilling to take. There are steps before that, though, before any harm might come to the bear. Uh, Since 1960, the NPS has been monitoring bears and trying these uh, different strategies to reduce conflict with humans. So conflicts where bears show aggression, eat human food, and are maybe damaging the property. And they've found some success with capturing and relocating or capturing and releasing the bears while making loud noise or hazing the bears to try to change their behavior. But it it is a mixed Uh success with with both uh, 
options. Yeah, yeah. it's tricky too because um, uh, bears can get into trash, and um, especially if people aren't aware um, and they feed the bears, then the bears can associate people with food, um, and they could get frustrated if the people don't have food. Um, but also, uh, a, a wild animal associating human beings with food is a very slippery slope uh, in other ways, um, as uh, as alluded to. The other thing that I know, like a lot of like rangers and like the MPS has trouble with, is like this. This is like an apocryphal statement from a Yosemite ranger. I think it's like I've seen it before, but I, I looked it up again for this. But when when you're talking about like you know trying to make like a trash can at a campsite that is like humans can use and bears can't uh, this yosemite ranger says that there is a considerable overlap between the intelligence of the smartest bears and the dumbest tourists <laughs> where it's like i've definitely like been to like a couple mm-hmm. you know parks where somebody is like confused at how to like open one of like sort of like the bear resistant trash cans and it's just like okay mm-hmm. you know it's, you just gotta like kind of stick your hand in there and pull up it's okay <laughs> yeah well, I also think that it's like if you're not used to bear trash, like bear proofed trash cans, and you're just like looking at this contraption, you're like, what is this? I get it. I think I would also maybe forget like, yeah, how like, to be a person in that moment. The, the first time I saw one, it just like it took like a, you know, it took a minute or so. It's like, oh, like I see. I guess I am smarter than a bear. Yeah. <laughs> Although I guess if you read the signs, I'm sure that there's like signage that tells you how to use it somewhere. One thousand percent. Is there anything else we want to talk about to put a button on on our conversation about bears? I I guess for more wildlife more broadly, like a lot of the things that we say here apply to raccoons too. Um, that mm-hmm. uh, raccoons are prominent in the Smokies, and uh, don't feed them. Don't try to take them as pets like whatever i know they look cute uh they they are wild animals um and um another um uh wildlife thing that the the smokies are famous for is that they are one of two locations in the entire world um that um the uh all the fireflies that you will see um in an area um will um synchronize uh they'll all hmm. uh, blink um in hmm. unison oh cool uh, yeah wow uh, there's there's a um, there's a lottery um, to um, get to go to the location to where you can view it, um, and it is a very competitive lottery. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, that does like I like raccoons are very smart animals. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one time I remember I went camping. I, I think it was I think it was in Tennessee. I like I, I had done my best to like clean up the campsite and I had legitimately like all the food in the car, like, you know, home on yards. Except for I had made like, you know, a grilled cheese and like one of those like little like fire like, you know, over the fire like sandwich presses. And, you know, I kinda like I woke I got woken up at, you know, one or two in the morning to this like this weird scraping sound. I'm like, what is that? So you know it's like I carefully like opened my tent and peeked out with a flashlight. The raccoons, like, there were two or three of them that were, like, working together to drag away my little sandwich <laughs> press. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> so speaking of experiences in the parks, we mentioned that it is the most visited park. We touched on this actually quite a bit earlier. It is one of the most visited parks in, or the most visited park in the country. And that's because it's an easy park to visit. So it's easily accessible, and I'd like to kind of open the floor to Weeks and Dino. Um, can you tell us more about your personal experiences in this park? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, like I said, like back in 2017, I was fresh out of college. I'd been, you know, it's like I'd been hiking before. Um, yeah, but it's like a net, like a never a like a huge like trip or anything like that. Um, but at the time, like one of my friends and I, like we went down to the Smokies, I think for like five or six days and they were like, okay, like I, I'd been there before. I think like I took a picture when I was a kid in front of like one of the, the visitor centers, but this was like my first like long visit as an adult to a national park where I went on like, I mean, we hiked all over the park. We have, I've didn't do any like overnight hikes, but I mean, we were doing, uh, a couple of my favorites that I've done a couple times now, there's a hike to uh, sort of a rock outcrop called Charlie's Bunyan, 
It's on. It's interesting a, name. I know. Um, they said it came around uh, two early like trail blazers, like in the Smokies, uh, were like hiking the trail. Uh, one of them took their boot off just to like you know kind of like massage the foot, like you know get the kinks out, uh, and revealed a bunion on the back, on a, kind of the side of his foot. And his friend, you know, looked at that and then looked at the rock outcropping just in front of them and said, like, you know, I see a similarity there. and We're going to name this one after you. So <laughs> it is it is a very cool sort of like view. It's like you kind of can sit on a rock and look over just like this huge classic swath of like the Smokies. Uh, it's I remember when I visited the first time we got there and, you know, sat down to eat lunch and it was just an absolutely like achingly beautiful sight so we were there for about 20 minutes and just as we were getting ready to leave sort of like a classic uh clouds because like this the smokies get their name from sort of just like the clouds that are like constantly drifting in and out of the mountains Mm -hmm. um this cloud like basically like swept up and just like enveloped the entire bunion in fog and i mean like there were people showing up that were just like i was like i told them it's you, you gotta wait here for like 10 minutes i swear to god like, this will go away, and you will be able to see, like, an actual view. But it was it was so funny where it's, like, we spent, like, 30 minutes up there with the most, like, achingly beautiful, and then, like, two seconds later, just pure, like, pea soup fog. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, that, like I said, that, that's that's actually, the, the Bunyan is a stop on the Appalachian Trail, 71 miles of, like, the 2,200-mile, like, trail run through the Smokies, uh, mm-hmm. So it's a really nice, like, if you're looking to, like, you know, get your feet wet on the, like, AT, it's a really nice place to do, like, a section hike. I have not been down there to do that yet, uh, but it's definitely, like, on my bucket list. Yeah, that sounds very cool. I have seen a lot of... I, I think I, I know a couple of people who have done the Appalachian Trail hike, and it seems very cool. I am a day hiker, <laughs> but uh, I respect people who can, like, do the full, like, yeah. hike the full trail. It, it sounds like a very major commitment. Yeah, it's like, it's it's sort of like, like I said, like a, like a dream of mine. But again, mm-hmm. like, I've, you know, mm-hmm. I've, I've done a lot of, like, I've done a lot of car camping. I've done a little mm-hmm. bit of, like, dispersed camping. But I've never, like, backpacked. So I'm, like, as somebody who's, like, never actually, like, taken, like, you know, two days on the trail, I'm thinking, it's like, yeah, you know, I could probably take six months and just keep walking. (laughs) Maybe someday. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You, Dino, is there anything you wanted to shout out about about your experiences in the park? Anything that that is particularly special to you? Um, I mean, yes and no. Um, I, I haven't been to the actual like park itself i would say in like 10 years maybe more um Uh and um so a lot of my memory is a little fuzzy of of the park itself and um being a younger kid i was more interested in the arcades and the laser tag in in (laughs) uh and the the ripley's believe it or not aquarium uh Uh in uh gatlinburg and pigeon forge um and so um a lot more of my memory is focused on that, but I will say that um, a lot of the um, a lot of the hikes, a lot of the features are not uncommon um, to the area. I mean, the the Appalachian Trail, um, like we were talking about, is like features a lot of like similar things to here, and uh, most of Tennessee, I, I would say, well, uh, two thirds of Tennessee um, is uh, is. Um, very similar to this so i live in i I live in tennessee so i yeah Mm -hmm. i think it's like like you said like having like being a kid like going to like you know dollywood or like gatlinburg is is really nice because you know it's like you're you're kind of like in this sort of like very family oriented very sort of like tourist happy place with a national park that's so close so like Mm -hmm. i said i remember as a kid you know like that's when i first like dipped my feet into like the national park system which is, like, my parents, like, you know, dropped me off in front of, like, the visitor center to take a couple photos. So mm-hmm. it's, like, it, it's nice because it sort of, like, gets the gear turning early. Yeah. I remember it's a a, a hilly drive because I got car sick a lot. It was a hilly mm-hmm. drive. Uh, there were lots of trees. <laughs> uh, we saw a bear. Um, and uh, everyone went tubing, but I didn't want to go, so I stayed at the cabin. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. 
two two other like uh larger attractions in um uh, great smoky mountains are cades cove and mount leconte um those are just kind of like two big um like hiking and biking things um mm-hmm. they're on the tougher side um but uh, i think mount leconte is like an estimated like an eight to ten hour hike both of those are just really pretty views really cool things to see and like all of those um but um yeah i i i wanted to mention those like with um there are all of these like really easily accessible like beautiful views and you can drive around you can stay in cool cabins and like all of that stuff but um there are also like um I think w- what I associate more with like going to national parks, um, which is like, mm-hmm. there's a mountain that you can see. There's a cool rock formation that you can see, you know? Yeah. Have you been to either of those places? No, I haven't. Um, uh, my, my wife is from the area um, and she's, she's mm-hmm. been like, we have to go to Kate's Cove. Um, but yeah, we have not. One day. Yeah. Soon. Leconte is like, uh, like Mount Leconte is like very high up on my list. There's actually a lodge on top of it. Uh, so if you mm-hmm. can, like, if you can hike up there, there's no roads to the lodge. Um, but, like, I know, like, there, like, you can hike there, stay in this, like, apparently, like, as far as I can tell, it looks like a pretty nice lodge overnight, uh, and then hike back down the next day. I know when I was in the Smokies last time, there was this group of, like, I'd say, like, 20 to 30 yeah, you know, like probably like 60, 70 year old retirees that all have like, you know, we hiked LeConte like t-shirts on. And I talked to some of them and it's like, apparently like, this is like a yearly thing their group did is just like going to the Smokies and then like hiking up to this lodge, basically renting out the entire thing and having a, uh, having a party up there. And it's like, man, rock on. That's the type of old person I want to be. Yeah, that sounds, <laughs> I aspire to be those people. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, we can speed through some forest facts to kind of wrap things up. Let's go. Um, so I, I was at looking through uh, the NPS website of, like, what are things that I can talk about for this park? And I came across the um, that little uh, bit from the beginning that it's, like, 95% forest. Um, so it's like, surely someone has done science about the trees. And I found some interesting information from the U.S. Geological Survey and the National Park Service about forests in the uh, Great Smoky Mountains National Park. So about a quarter of the park is old growth forest, meaning that the forest is made up of mature trees that are at least 100 years old. Um, Some of them obviously are older than that, but that's kind of the minimum requirement. There are several different types of forests within the park. Um, Spruce fir, northern hardwood, hemlock, and pine and oak. There are lots of other tree species within that, but it kind of defines the like predominant species that you will find in the different sections. And um, the two main factors that determine which trees go where tends to be elevation and soil drainage. So, um, there is also a very fun map that I found on the, um, NPS website that I'm sure we will share with everyone, but, um, generally spruce fir forests are at the highest level of elevation, and then on north-facing slopes, it tends to be wetter, and so you will find hemlock forests, uh, cove hardwood, and what are called successional forests. Um, So these are areas that had been cleared and then were allowed to regrow. And so that's the general idea behind a successional forest. And then on southern facing slopes, which tend to be drier, you will see uh, northern hardwood, oak hickory forests, and then the pine oak. It's, it's, it's really surprising, like, seeing, you know, like, when, when you're looking at a mountain, like, you can see, like, exactly, like, where each mm-hmm. of these, like, very starkly, like, drop off. Um, I, I, we touched on it a little earlier, but there's also, there's a, there's two maintained, uh, what are called balds in the forest, or, like, in the, in the park. Right. Um, which are, and I, I looked into this because I was interested, there, we don't 
exactly know how they came about to be like just sort of like it's basically a bear patch not not a b-a-a-b-e-a-r-a-b-a-r-e a bear patch on the side of either on the side or on top of the mountain where it looks like trees should be able to grow but just for some reason they never did um mm-hmm. there was you know like grazing by animals that kind of like kept down like the tree growth um and then up until I think like the NPS like took over the park, people like people that were like raising livestock would actually like, you know bring the livestock up to sort of like manually like maintain the balds. Uh, it was it was interesting because like as soon as like the NPS is like hey you can't do that anymore, all of a sudden like the balds like they actually started to be reclaimed by trees, but they kind of like the NPS like you know talked with like the people who lived there. Or like, hey, like, should should we just sort of like the, let the trees like sweep over this area, or maintain them as like they've been for you know millennia? And they actually decided to maintain. So, Andrew's mm-hmm. Andrew's Bald is another one of my favorite hikes. Uh, it's just one of the I think the the one of the lead lookouts uh, in the Smoky Mountains is uh, I think Klingman's Dome, and the Andrew's Bald hike is actually just the branches right off that. Uh, it's a straight downhill hike. It's very mel- well maintained, uh, but it, you kind of like you're going through like a very dense forest, and all of a sudden, like you just kind of like pop out on the side of a mountain where there's no trees at all. You have like beautiful, beautiful wildflowers, and this like very cool like side view where you're like you're not on top of a mountain and you're not like in a valley. You're just like you've just got a mm-hmm. great, great lookout. Yeah, yeah, that seems very cool. I I do wonder if. That the balds maybe tie into um, some of the things that we'll talk about with um, the indigenous land stewardship. I know, and it's, I, I think you, I think you're right in the money there. Yeah. Um, before we get to that, though, so one of the big concerns that I found, which is not specific to the Great Smoky Mountains, but is a concern because there are significant areas of um, hemlock forest is the hemlock woolly adelgid i think is how you pronounce that i'm not sure and i don't really want to look it up um (laughs) but it is a tiny aphid-like insect uh that is typically native to asia and they have affected hemlock forests throughout north america not just in the park but primarily uh, damage eastern hemlock trees as there are a few natural predators. that They can be found in hemlock forests basically anywhere from Georgia up to Nova Scotia. Hmm. Um, and they are easily identified by white woolly masses that form on the underside of the branches. But essentially once a tree is infected or infested with these uh, woolly adelgids, um, they will spend the rest of their lives uh, feeding off of the host tree and can uh, severely damage the canopy as well as um, twigs and needles because they are pulling nutrients out of the tree. So once an infestation starts, usually the host tree will die off in four to ten years. There are some predators for them that um, various states have introduced to try to manage infestations. Um, A lot of them come from like the Pacific Northwest, which is why you see it um, or you don't see it as often in western hemlock forests. But uh, that is... Kind of an important uh, lead into, um, like, why it is so important not to bring outside wood into parks um, to prevent bringing parasites. Um, It's also why it's really important to make sure that you're cleaning off your clothes and any gear that you bring into the park to prevent transmitting parasites. Um, And if you suspect that you have, like, found an infestation, especially if you're living on the East Coast. Um, You can check in with your local, like, Department of Agriculture or, like, a conservation group and see if there is a way to report infestations because a lot of states are, like, 
very intent on trying to manage it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, I was going to say a quick note. Um, uh, if you are familiar, uh, if Hemlock sounds familiar to you, um, uh, it is important to note that this is not uh, poison Hemlock. Um, this yeah. is a tree Hemlock. Um, so if you, like me, uh, associate Hemlock with Socrates, <laughs> um, that is uh, an entirely different plant. Um, yeah, very uh, different. One, mm. Yeah, this one you can you can even use in like teas and things. Uh, you definitely don't want to mix it up with the other Hemlock uh, that will kill you. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, it's weird that we just call them the same thing. You know, sometimes there's just names for stuff that are the same. And like one of them totally fine the other one definitely will kill you yeah, yeah um and i think it is a choice to continue using the same name <laughs> yeah. for both of those things and then the last thing that i wanted to talk about which was actually something that hawk found uh while she was looking into stuff for the park was um is an article that is hosted on the usda forestry service website but was kind of joint it I believe jointly written by the USDA Forestry Service, um members of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians and the National Park Service about movements towards indigenous land stewardship in the park and surrounding forests. So um, what they are doing is the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians is working with the Forestry Service and the National Park Service um, to engage in research and forest management, focusing on protecting culturally significant plants. So right now they are mostly looking at... I don't know how to pronounce the first one. I think it's Pisgah? Pisgah, yeah. Okay. The Pisgah, Natahala, and Cherokee National Forests, as well as the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. So the big areas of focus are access, sustainable harvesting, and improved ecological conditions. In a lot of places, which I think this is something that we've talked about before, the like traditional forest management approaches in the United States specifically, don't tend to prioritize species of interest to tribal and indigenous peoples or incorporate indigenous knowledge. And so um, something that the EBCI is focusing on um, is making sure that they have access to these um culturally significant plants because they are used for food, medicine, craft materials, as well as um, just holding spiritual, ceremonial, or cultural meanings that are very important. Um, And then indigenous practices also tend to be very useful in managing forest health and severe wildfire risks, as well as just... um, being an avenue for maintaining sovereignty in a lot of areas. Um, Because food sovereignty and climate change are significant concerns. So what the EBCI has done is defined a, a zone of interest that encompasses the historic Cherokee homeland and are working on access and stewardship arrangements because there have been these periods where they, despite like having treaties that guarantee access to land that is otherwise managed by the federal government, um, there have been issues of them not being allowed on that land to um, harvest plants for various reasons, commercial harvesting, as well as like general public harvesting of plants uh, was talked about as one of these big issues. And so the EBCI is really focusing on building trust between um, the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians, as well as the government. So making sure that um, 
people who are trying to access the land understand the processes and making them more clear and more accessible, um, as well as focusing research on um, on these Cherokee practices. So like why it is that they're using the plants and um, the way that they're harvesting techniques to the plants that grow in these areas. But there is a lot of like very technical information in the article, but it was really nice to see them trying to address some of the issues of like the way that research has been conducted tended not historically the way research has been conducted didn't prioritize um, indigenous knowledge or indigenous practices. And so that's something that they're specifically focusing on is um, different research approaches that oftentimes just kind of gets left out of um, scientific research that is conducted around the park. Um, Which is cool to see. I know I've seen in other places that the Park Service is starting to work more with indigenous groups um, or seeing like indigenous groups petitioning for um, having a say in land management of those areas which is really Mm -hmm. nice to see Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. it's uh it's a really hopeful thing i think yeah it's it's really nice to see for sure i think that about covers it for our our episode on the great smoky mountains thank you for listening is there anything anyone wants to plug before we go thank you for having me yeah thank you for coming (laughs) Yeah, thank both of you for being on. Oh yeah, thank thank you to our guests so much. Yeah, no, it's it was it was really nice being able to talk about my like my personal favorite park. I like I, I was gonna say east of the Mississippi, but I, I really do think I think it's probably my favorite park. I don't know. Okay, it's it's top top three. I I'd have to like really sit there and puzzle it out, but it's definitely I think it's my favorite park east of the Mississippi. So one day we'll do like a ranking episode where we just go through and rank all of the parks. Oh God! <laughs> One fight, day, fight. That fight. has to be a series. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, mm-hmm. we're now nearing the end of February, but want to give an acknowledgement for Black History Month, and want to reiterate that if you want to get involved with the African American Experience Project, we'll have a place in our show notes that we will put that information. Uh, we also wanted to give a shout out to Appalachian Voices, which is an environmental advocacy group for the Appalachian Mountains. Um, in particular, they focus on um, stopping harmful fossil fuel mining practices on the mountains and um, transitioning into more clean energy. Awesome. And yeah, one more shout out that I wanted to give. Um, we talk a lot about birds, bird watching, different things here. Um, I recently went to a birding event with Feminist Bird Club. Um, They are an organization nationwide. Um, I believe that they're also getting some chapters outside of the U.S. Um, Had a wonderful time. It was a great intro beginner birding experience. Um, And they're just really cool. So I just wanted to say, hey, check them out. You might go make some friends, see some cool birds. I got to see a coyote. That was neat. (laughs) They also have um, their patch for this year, because we talked about that in the Discord, is the, it's the common nightjar, right? Nighthawk, yes. The common nighthawk, um, which is one of the birds that we talked about in Jasper National Park. Yep, Jasper National Park. (laughs) So, super cool. If you want to check them out, uh, you can go to feministbirdclub.org and see if they have a chapter near you or how to start a chapter. <laughs> it's a similar shout out um, uh, it, it, I was just reminded of is um, shout out to the Bird Union, um, which was formerly known as the Audubon Union, um, which yeah. is um, a union of people that uh, work at the Audubon Society, um, have re- renamed um their uh, union um, because of uh, the uh, namesake of the Audubon Society being a bad person, <laughs> to say the least. And the Chicago chapter is also petitioning the national organization as well as trying to change their chapter name if the national organization doesn't yes. change their name. 
I have been seeing news about this as well. Uh, the Bird Union may have a different name uh, by the time mm-hmm. uh, you're listening to this, but uh, for right now, they are the Bird Union. So. Yeah. Fantastic name. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't see why they want to change, but they said, you know, they did an official announcement. But... So our next episode, um, hopefully we'll be able to get this one out in February, um, though we'd only have a couple of days <laughs> left. So it might be early March by then, but our, for our next episode, it will be in March. We'll be going to be visiting Amami Gunto National Park. So get excited for that. And if you have any uh, personal experience with that national park, please reach out to us at yelparkspod at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter or Tumblr. Um, we want to acknowledge that the Great Smoky Mountains National Park is on land that belongs to the Cherokee, Miccosukee, and Yuchi Native Americans. If You can find more information on that by visiting native-land.ca. Um, as I said, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at yellparkspod at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter or Tumblr at yellparkspod. And now let's go to our final Yahoo. Yahoo! <laughs> <laughs>